Hello folks, welcome back to the The Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop. We're on a mission to unlock human performance. This week's episode, Whoop VP of Performance Science, our fearless principal scientist, Kristen Holmes, is joined by fitness expert Brad Schoenfeld. Brad is widely regarded as one of the leading authorities on body composition training. He's a lifetime drug-free bodybuilder and has won numerous natural bodybuilding titles. Brad is the best-selling author of multiple fitness books, including The Max Muscle Plan, which is widely referred to as the Muscle Building Bible, and Strong and Sculpt, which details a cutting-edge body sculpting program targeted to women. In total, Brad's books have sold over a half million copies. Kristen and Brad will discuss the definition of muscle hypertrophy and resistance training. They also touch on the benefits of both and how it impacts your short and long-term health, how to create and get started on a resistance training program, workout recommendations for various age groups. Did you know children as young as five or six can lift weights if properly supervised? I didn't know that. The optimal recovery times for muscle groups, how to balance your nutritional and cardio needs with a resistance training program, and the idea of progressive overload. I'm also excited to share we've got a whole new slate of Whoop blue light blocking glasses. That's right. They're back. They're in stock. We got new ones. We've also got a new fully adjustable sleep mask. The benefits of blue light blocking glasses are that they increase your recovery. I'm obsessed with them. I've been wearing them for years. They truly improve your recovery, your sleep. You wear them 30 to 90 minutes before bed, and you just feel way better getting into bed. Uh, If you're looking to join Whoop, you can sign up for free. How about that? Free 30-day trial. Try Whoop. If you like it, become a member. If you don't, send it back and you're all good. Alternatively, use the code WILL, W-I-L-L. Sign up for a Whoop membership and get $60 credit on apparel and accessories, bands, battery packs, and more. That's the code WILL, W-I-L-L. If you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us, podcast at whoop.com. Call us, 508-443-4952. We'll answer your questions in a future episode. Here are Kristen Holmes and Brad Schoenfeld. So for today's conversation, we're going to focus on muscle growth, also known as hypertrophy. To lay the foundation, Brad, I'd love for you to start by defining hypertrophy. And if you can also kind of simultaneously define strength training as well. And then we can, you know, kind of dig into where they're similar and where they're, where they're different. Yeah, sure. Hypertrophy is in simple terms, the growth in we're talking about muscle hypertrophy, the growth of muscle tissue. And that can be measured in multiple ways. We can look at muscle thickness, which is a single dimensional measurement. We can look at the cross-sectional area, which is a two-dimensional measurement or a volume, which is the entire muscle. That would be a three-dimensional measurement. There's many ways that muscle can be measured, MRI, ultrasound, DEXA. And some of them, I don't know how deep you want to go, but some of them are more accurate than others in that uh, Mm -hmm. realm. And strength training, I like to use the term resistance training. I mean, strength training, if you're talking about training for strength, because that's the Mm -hmm. connotation it gives, that would be different from the catch-all, which is resistance training. So resistance training is using any type of resistance to create force on the muscles, whereas To me, strength training is a focus on gaining strength, which is not necessarily dependent on gaining hypertrophy, although there is a relationship between hypertrophy and strength. 
there are other factors that go into gaining strength uh, outside of hypertrophy. From the standpoint of just benefits, I know there's there's overlap and there's a, a lot of similarities in the benefits between growing muscles and, and getting stronger. What are the are there any benefits, I guess, with hypertrophy training versus strength training that people need to understand? Yeah. So it, first of all, it's population specific, it's goal specific. Mm-hmm. You know, most younger individuals are training for aesthetics. Not all, but certainly I, based on my previous experience as a personal trainer, the vast majority of people that came in were less concerned about maxing their strength and more concerned about how they look. As people get older, uh, strength becomes a much greater of much greater importance because it's mm-hmm. uh, important to dependence or independence for uh, you know your dependence on others to help you to carry out activities versus your ability to carry out those activities. So certainly that would be uh, you know co- somewhat context dependent. But I mean, if you're asking, there are certainly other benefits besides aesthetics to muscle itself, and one of them from a health standpoint, being the size of a muscle will be related to the amount of glucose that can be stored in that muscle. So thus conceivably, larger muscles can help to reduce insulin insensitivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can store more glucose, you're going to have greater or, or a lesser chance of being insulin resistant and a uh, lesser chance of ultimately becoming diabetic. But uh, look, from a health standpoint, I think strength is the more important you're asking my personal opinion. I think there's mm-hmm. certainly good evidence to back that up. Strength, uh, especially over time, is going to be the more important factor from a health standpoint. But mm-hmm. that doesn't. People need to train based on their goals, and it's not up to me right. or you or anyone else to tell someone why they should be training. Yeah, yeah. I, I love how you always say that it's everything is context dependent, and people when they go in to start any activity, they'd be thinking about their goals and. And, and their level of experience. And, and maybe are there different considerations, you know, if you're a beginner, do you think, do you start with strength or do you start with hypertrophy? What would be your, your personal or your opinion based on the research? That you so found? neither. Um, you, oh, okay. you should, in, in my opinion, you should focus on learning movements. So mm. it's motor learning, basically. It should be the, uh, the focus in the initial one, two, three months or so. It's your, your initial phase of training should, uh, at least the way I approach it and and always have, is to try to ingrain the movement patterns into the subconscious. Once you have mastered the movement patterns, then you focus on whatever it is you are, then it's goal dependent. So uh, I I personally feel that the most important thing, and I think it's kind of tough to argue with it, that uh, if you don't know how to do a movement, you're not going to be able to move to the next step. So Right. Uh, if you're performing something poorly, you're not going to, you'll have suboptimal results, whether it's strength, hypertrophy, muscle endurance, or whatever. So learning those movements is central to, uh, to taking that next step. Amazing. So what would be, you know, if we're starting, maybe we can kind of move through beginner, intermediate, advanced. And, you know, if the goal is to increase muscle size, what would be kind of the the repetitions, you know, the, the frequency kind of, how would you program across those three levels broadly? I know obviously it's, 
you know, there's non-competition folks. So just kind of thinking about the general population, but someone who's beginner versus intermediate versus experience. So from my perspective, the training should become more individualized and specialized as you become more advanced uh, in the sense mm-hmm. from a volume perspective that when you're first, when you're an intermediate and first developing your muscles, you just want to develop all the muscles as much as they will mm-hmm. develop. But as you start to become somewhat more advanced, you then want to look at what muscles are more well-developed and which muscles are less well-developed. And you can allocate more volume to the muscles that are less developed and less volume to the muscles that are more Mm well-developed so that your overall training volume doesn't change that much from the total amount of work that you're doing, total amount of sets that you're doing across all muscles, but that you're apportioning it kind of like a budget towards Mm -hmm. muscles that might need it more. And again, this is where the art of training Mm -hmm. comes in. So it's, you know, there are no cookie cutter. I know everyone wants like that just do this many sets and this many reps. And, and that's just not the way it works in an applied science. We, we all, yeah, go deep. Uh, if that worked that way, there would, everyone would be Mr. Olympia because everyone would have the same physique and that just doesn't happen. So we, we um, respond differently as humans. So, so volume certainly is a, an important concern. I think one of the most important things that uh, probably the most important thing from a hypertrophy standpoint is proximity to failure. Mm -hmm. So training close to failure. I think the literature is now showing that we don't necessarily need to train to failure. Certainly, at least all the time. Whether some failure training might be beneficial is somewhat equivocal, but I think the evidence is becoming fairly clear that you can uh, achieve optimal hypertrophy if you're within a couple reps of failure, but you need to train. That's still training very hard. You're training a couple reps away from failure. And I think most people don't know uh, their proximity to failure. Most people never really have trained to know how far you are away from failure. You need to train to failure and uh, thus training really hard is important. And perhaps then some failure training might be beneficial, particularly as you're getting more advanced. And again, these are individual uh, things that you, you can't just give a one size fits all. Talk about the utility of a one rep max and kind of understanding where that kind of moderate to heavy load might actually be for you. Yeah. So personally, I don't think having a one RM, if you're looking for um, hypertrophy, I, to mm-hmm. me, I think it's pretty irrelevant. Uh, I think you're, you you want to pick a repetition range. So uh, I'll give you a, for instance, let's say you want to train at 80% of your one RM on squats Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for you. That might be 10 reps for another person. It might be 15 reps for another person. It might be six reps. Uh, So the variation between individuals in percent uh, one RM versus a sub max lift is very vast. So, and by the way, I'll give you a, a better, for instance, we carried out a study some time ago where we had subjects going to failure with a leg press at 75% 1RM and 30% 1RM. In the 75% 1RM, the variation, we had 11 well-trained subjects. The variation in reps went from 7 to 21. Someone got 7 reps at at 75% and at the highest than 21. At 30%, it was, if I'm recalling, somewhere around 22 in the lowest and 7... 72 or 70 something in the highest. So, I mean, a 50 repetition range. 
uh, across individuals. So again, it really underscores the uh, importance that you can't use a one RM to predict a sub uh, one a submax repetition right. max. So for me, you want to look at repetition zones from a hypertrophy standpoint. Now, if you're looking for strength, then your one RM is going to be, of course, much more important because training right. closer to your one RM is going to be mandatory if you want to maximize your one RM. But from a hypertrophy standpoint, I tend to look more in loading zones. So you, let's say, have a heavier loading zone, three to five reps, a moderate repetition zone, eight to 12, and a higher rep zone, 15, 20, 25 plus. Mm -hmm. And from that context, um, they're really up to at least 30 plus reps, some perhaps probably even a little higher. Uh, It really does not make much difference on a whole Mm -hmm. muscle level which rep range you train in. The literature, and this is something I've kind of done a 180 on over the years. When I was an up and coming student, it had always been preached that you should train in this magical hypertrophy zone of eight to 12 reps and that it's going to increase your hormonal milieu and and other factors which will maximize results. And really that is not panned out in research from our lab and others. Uh, I, I think to me, this is one of the most compelling uh, bodies of evidence of any of the variables, probably the most compelling, that you can uh, achieve whole muscle hypertrophy across a broad spectrum of ranges. Now, with that said, I do think that it makes sense to train in a majority of your sets within that moderate rep range, kind of 8 to 12, 6 to 12. But I, I do think there's at least some evidence that using some lighter and heavier loads sprinkled in also can enhance that effect. And it's possible, although there's certainly conflicting evidence on this, that you might be able to alter fiber type differences where lighter loads might target your type one Mm -hmm. fibers to a greater extent and your heavier loads, somewhat heavier loads might target your type two fibers. I think that's an area that um, needs more uh, exploration, although I'm becoming less convinced that uh, that might be the case. But I do think there, we do have some evidence that for various other reasons, there might be beneficial effects of training across the spectrum of loading ranges. Do you think, are there any different recommendations you would have from, in terms of just age? So if you're just starting out, you know, do you recommend children, you know, lift and, and what would that recommendation be? And then kind of as we age, you know, just wanted to get your kind of opinion across the age spectrum and, and what you'd recommend, you know, differently, or if maybe it's the same. No, absolutely. Uh, so first of all, I think uh, children should start lifting as soon as they are mentally mature enough. So they have to be able to focus, you know, if they're all over the place. But I mean, children as young as five and six, certainly, uh, depending on their mental maturity, can start to lift. Now, I personally uh, would start them with lighter loads. Uh, uh, Well, I would start anyone with lighter loads, but even Mm -hmm. maintain fairly somewhat lighter loads, at least throughout the majority of childhood and into adolescence. Um, When I say lighter, I wouldn't, wouldn't be doing singles and doubles, you know, one RMs, but I mean, five, six reps plus, I think would be appropriate uh, in that age group. Can you just do a little myth busting around 
uh, strength training and hindering the development of puberty and, you know, just would love to get clear the air. Zero zero evidence (laughs) of that. Zero evidence that it will stunt children's growth. And in fact, so the issue with with growth uh, is always centered on that it negatively affects the growth plates, which there is no evidence of. What can affect the growth plates negatively is an injury to the bone. And where might, now, could that happen in resistance training? It can if you're not careful. But if you are in a supervised format, which, by the way, any children, I would certainly recommend that they do that, uh, certainly before until they're uh, teenagers, in a supervised environment. I wouldn't generally recommend a, an eight-year-old be just going into the basement lifting on their own or even a gym. But the chances of getting hurt, and people, you know, parents have their children play sports. The chances of getting a bone injury in basketball or soccer or football, certainly, is much greater, much, much greater than it is in resistance training. And that's where you can get a, an injury to the bone that would affect the growth plates and potentially stunt growth. So I think right. parents worrying about that or people in general worrying about that is a little disingenuous if you're going to have your kids play sports. And I, I don't see most pe- uh, parents not allowing their children to play sports. Right. And from an older person's standpoint, it again will then be individual specific. Now, generally speaking, uh, so as people age, there's a high incidence of osteoarthritis and bone related issues, which often will if not contraindicate heavier loads, make them uncomfortable to use. So that's a an area where utilizing lighter loads, it's, it's really beautiful that uh, training with lighter loads has a really a very high beneficial effect on muscle development. It is not as great for strength, uh, although you still will get stronger. And I will argue that from a functional standpoint, uh, you'll probably, I don't think it's going to make a, much difference in an older person's ability to carry out functional tasks. Most people are not looking to maximally lift some, push something, especially most older people. Uh, they're looking for mu- more muscle endurance related. The functional aspects of um, aging are on muscle endurance related qualities, which would be very specific to the lighter load training as well. What I would say is you get older and this is not really a hypertrophy uh, factor, but, one of the most most detrimental effects on aging is the loss of power. And power is strength over time, basically. It's the ability to carry out force over time. And uh, again, one of the most detrimental things that occurs is a fall. So older people often will have a fall, they'll break their hip. And the last statistics I've seen is that something like 50 plus percent of those of elderly individuals who get a hip fracture never recover from that injury. And that is a function of power. So if you are falling, the ability to reverse direction and, and retain your balance is basically a function of power. So it's, it's strength, but you have to be able to uh, enforce that strength in a very short period of time. And that, and there is emerging evidence that training with faster concentric repetitions more explosive concentric repetitions will help to improve the power, particularly in older individuals. Um, Mm -hmm. Our group carried out a meta-analysis on this topic 
and found a, a modest benefit to at least doing some training with uh, faster concentric actions. It doesn't mean that all your sets need to be done uh, fast concentrically, but at least including some training that involves fast concentric actions would be appropriate. Amazing. How many would you recommend folks, you know, lift five days a week, just alternating muscle groups? Like what would you, do you have a, a sense of what's most effective? So you can get bigger muscles with a fairly basic type of routine and fairly low mm -hmm. volume routine. So there's an added value to volume, but the plateau, so you, it's not like you just get a linear increase. The, uh, as you start getting more and more sets, the added value of those sets becomes less. doesn't mean it's non-existent. And at some point it does become non-existent. But uh, this is why it is, like I said, would depend upon, if you just want bigger muscles, you think, yeah, someone wants to come in, you get your average guy who's coming in or gal and says, I want to get bigger muscles. A three-day-a-week routine, four-day-a-week routine would be mm -hmm. certainly sufficient. If you're talking about a bodybuilder, I think some of that training, if you're asking me how I would program, it would generally be in cycles and blocks of training right. where that would go from somewhat lower frequency to higher. And I think at some point you need to be, at least for a short period of time, to get in the sufficient volume to maximize results at a five or six day a week uh, right. frequency. But the majority of training, I think, uh, if you structure it properly, can be carried out quite well within three to four days. And would you say you need 24 hours, 48 hours before kind of hitting the same muscle group again? Like what would be that recovery time between you wouldn't want to lift your quadriceps, for example, you know, two days in a row. So kind of what do you think is the, what does the research say in terms of how much time you need between uh, training muscle groups? So it's interesting. There is actually some conflicting evidence on this. And um, there's been a few studies that seem that have suggested, well, one in particular, although it was never published, uh, suggested that training six days a week, the same muscles over and over was actually more effective than doing it three days a week. But more recent evidence, mm -hmm. our, our group published a study on this. It, it Interestingly, doesn't seem to show as much of a detriment depending upon how it's structured, if the mm -hmm. volumes are lower in each session. But personally, I don't think that's the best way to train. Uh, and uh, I think having 48 hours rest between muscles is generally a, a good rule of thumb. Now, remember, yeah. outside of the lower body, or even when, depending upon how you structure lower body training, that could be an issue. But um, when you train the upper body, there's going to be overlap. So you think, let's say you're doing a back, okay. so you're training your back, you're getting your biceps involved. So then if you're going to train your biceps on a, the same day or a different, if you're training it on a different day, you're training it the next, can you train it the next day? Or do you have to now then show, let's say you're doing your shoulders and your chest, your triceps generally are going to be involved, at least in some of those movements. So, so again, there, there's going to be, uh, it starts to get somewhat hazy when you're talking about mm -hmm. direct versus indirect effects. And even by the way, people often don't consider this, but a lat pull down works the sternal portion of the pecs. Now, how much work does, the, does that get? Is that really going to fatigue the chest where you're not going to be able to come back the next day? I think that's highly debatable, but it's just pointing out that it's not clean like a lot of people think that when you're training back, you're just working your back mus musculature. 
the body doesn't work in that context. What are some of the recovery modalities that you recommend, you know, for folks who are really trying to, to make gains and are, you know, in the gym, you know, five, six days a week, are there kind of certain things that you recommend from a recovery modality? Well, rest. (laughs) Um, So, uh, but uh, to me, the most important recovery modality is an active recovery. You want to be, you don't want to just be lying on your bed because Mm -hmm. blood flow itself delivering nutrient, your body quote unquote recovers through nutrient delivery. And that is facilitated through greater blood flow, which is diminished when you are very sedentary. So doing some type of walking. Other than that, a lot of it comes down to personal preference. Um, I think a massage can be, I, I don't think that necessarily helps with recovery, that it's necessarily beneficial from a mechanistic standpoint, but I think any, anything that mentally makes you feel yeah. better, such as foam rolling, uh, massage can be effective in that re- respect. Although I don't uh, feel that most of those modalities have good evidence from a mechanistic standpoint. I think they, right. I think there's some good evidence that psychologically they can make you feel like you're better recovered, which is going to get you better workouts, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a placebo effect can be, can be very good. Yeah, absolutely. But whether that actually is doing anything to you, I'm still not convinced. I know you spend a lot of time in the nutrition world. Is there, are there any things from a nutritional standpoint that you would recommend protein immediately, you know, post, post-training or yeah, is there anything you can say about, I think protein uh, would be really beneficial for our listeners. Yeah. So getting in enough protein uh, daily, I think is a number one is the critical factor. And that's going to be, if you're resistance training, a minimum of around 1.6 grams per kilogram a day. And probably Mm -hmm. I generally recommend a little higher as a safety margin around two Mm -hmm. grams per kilogram, which is just under a gram per pound or so um, for our American friends. Uh, The the rest of the world is on the metric system. So uh, totally. (laughs) The timing aspect is another area where I've done kind of a 180 on. I used to feel it was Mm -hmm. a very important, so even critical uh, factor. And now, again, the more recent evidence seems to show that if it has a benefit, it's going to be small. And uh, I, I generally think that as long as you're spacing out your protein across three to four meals a day, they're fairly evenly spaced throughout the day. The timing is superfluous. It kind of takes care of itself. So it's good to hear that uh, we don't have to freak out about the timing necessarily, as as long as we're kind of spreading it out through the day, uh, throughout the day. I would say bodybuilders probably are thinking about like getting right after training. Even you said it's marginal, but there there probably is. So, so yeah, if but, you're a bodybuilder, I, to me, do recommend that bodybuilders take a protein shake uh, immediately yeah. after training. I want to say immediately, in close proximity yeah. to their following their training bout, because there's no downside to it. Uh, if there's a benefit, it's going to be small. But for a bodybuilder, small differences can be the difference between potentially winning and losing a competition. I don't think for the average individual, it's going to make any difference uh, visually, but, uh, when your body fat's very low and you can add, you know, a few extra ounces of muscle, even that could be, uh, practically meaningful. What would you say from the standpoint of, you know, folks are, um, adding cardio 
is there, I know the general recommendation is, again, it's probably going to differ, you know, from, from person to person, but would you say that if my focus is on my, my lifting program and I'm really interested in muscle growth, should I prioritize that first and do cardio second? You know, what would be the order of operation from your standpoint? Yeah. So if you're going to do the cardio and lifting in the same session, you prioritize. And, uh, as a general rule, cardio is going to negatively or can negatively affect your lifting session. There really is no good evidence that lifting negatively affects your cardio session to much right. of a degree, but that would also be dependent upon what you do in the cardio session. So certainly prioritize lifting. If your goal is to maximize muscle building strength, uh, there is evidence that if you uh, do cardio first, you're going to have negative effects on your lifting session. Yeah. Is there any evidence? I, I, I guess I'd, I'd love to hear what you recommend for a warm up before lifting, you know, to really maximize your lifting session. You know, what should you do in advance of, of the session? So this kind of comes down to where you're coming from. So if you're coming out mm -hmm. of a cold environment, like if you're walking yeah. in the cold to a gym, I'd recommend getting on a bike or a treadmill and mm -hmm. doing a five, 10 minute, you know, brief warm up, uh, general warm up. When it comes to a specific, so, and, and by the way, if you're warm, it really, that's generally not going to be a issue for, from a lifting standpoint. Mm -hmm. And we, we've, I can get into, we, we actually carried out a study on this. Oh, yeah, if, um, if the goal is uh, lifting heavy, then I recommend doing some specific warm up sets with the uh, lighter weights. So let's say you're going to do a three RM. Uh, you're you're looking to get a three RM. You're best served by doing, let's say, a warm up set with fifty percent of your one RM, and then go up. So let's say eight reps at fifty percent, and then do four or five reps at seventy five percent, and then do your three RM. If you're training in the moderate to higher rep range, above certainly eight or so reps, mm -hmm. um, really no no good reason that you need to do a specific warm up and we actually carried out a study where we had groups do we had the same uh, individuals and they were kind of it was a crossover study but they did just the resistance training with sub uh, sub maximal weights 8 to 10 reps mm -hmm. uh we had another time they did a general warm up and another time they did a specific warm up and another time they did a general and a specific warm up before the lifting mm -hmm really did not have an effect. Uh, now, where it starts to become a little more complicated is with your more complex exercises. So if you're going to squat, I think that's an area where um, you might consider doing a specific warm-up just to kind of get the groove to, the, to a squat. Mm -hmm. And that, again, is more specific to the individual, depending upon how heavy you're going to squat and other factors. The absolute, not the relative. But for the most part, above eight reps or so, the warm-up seems to become superfluous. Okay. Yeah, I definitely know. Like when I'm cold, it takes me a couple, a couple sets to get into it. So yeah, I think for me personally, I know you always say this. You know, it's context dependent. It's very personal. So people just have to figure out what works best for them. Yep. I'd love to get into just uh, as we kind of wrap things up, I just have a couple pretty specific questions. When we're talking about 
kind of rest between sets for hypertrophy? Like what, you know, how much time do I need between sets? Generally speaking. So as a general rule, two to three minutes rest seems to be, uh, I don't want to say optimal, but um, two to three minutes rest seems to be a good uh, general rule of thumb. However, that is more specific to um, multi-joint exercise, particularly more mm-hmm. complex exercises. For your smaller muscle groups, so single-joint exercises, generally you could get away with like, 90 seconds or so, so somewhat shorter rest. Mm-hmm. So this is where, again, it's going to somewhat depend upon your time factor. Now, if you're going to take right. three minutes rest, you're going to be it's going to limit the amount of sets that you can do. Um, and... and I think that this, we actually just uh, carried out a study that was recently published showing there's not really much difference between two and three minutes rest. Uh, so again, somewhat specific to the individual, some people buffer mm-hmm. lactic acid to a greater extent, but when you're training with your moderate rep range, so 10 RM, uh, 12 RM, uh, two minutes rest in, at least in the squat, which is a really taxing exercise. Yeah. And the leg extension did not seem to have differential benefits. There seemed to be a greater negative effect of a one minute rest versus two minutes rest in the squat than on the leg extension. So that's why, again, for your your smaller muscle groups, your uh, single joint exercises, there does seem to be uh, less of an, a reason to take somewhat longer rest intervals. Okay. So from the perspective of just within a program, if you could just kind of talk about progressive overload quickly and, and why it's important for, for muscle growth. Yeah. So the basis of progressive overload is to progressively challenge your muscles beyond their present state. And uh, this is actually, I think a, an area where a lot of people don't understand the term because progressive overload, I think because the term load is in the word they think that it's just making weight heavier over time. And that certainly is one way to progressively overload. But you can progressively overload using higher volumes, greater frequency, uh, shorter restorations, increased um, uh, density of training. So tra- mm-hmm. training more training, more work in less time, more stimulus in less time mm-hmm. and, and other uh, manners. So I, I think this is a, a key point here that, you can use different techniques. It's not like you have to use one or the other. You can meld those techniques into your training. And that's why training really is an art. Um, I I would also say that uh, I'll let you provide this context. We carried out a study uh, where we looked at, we had one group do, so they started at a 10 RM for their squat. We did a lower body, so Mm -hmm. squat, leg extension, calf raise, straight leg calf raise and bent leg calf raise. They started out at a 10 RM. One group, we, and this was fully supervised, trained individuals, we had them increase the load as they were getting stronger, keeping that mm-hmm. 10 RM. So they tried to keep that 10 repetition. The other group, we kept them at whatever weight they started at, they used for the entire training program, and they just did more reps. So it was yeah. all training to failure. And at the end of the study, no differences in hypertrophy. Both were effective. Which yeah. really underscores the fact that it's, there's more than one way to, uh, or, what, <laughs> or my, my favorite saying is many roads lead to gains. Yeah. So you, I love you can that. Use different, uh, different approaches and they're e- equally effective in this manner. That's awesome. I mean, some people just 
prefer more reps and lighter weight, you know, just not, you know, and other people really like the heavier weight. So it's and you can mix and match. You can, get, you can do, a, yeah. you could do a block where you are increasing reps on the next block. You can look to increase the load and, mm-hmm. and, and continue. So yeah, it really is that. specific to the individual and how they decide to uh, what they enjoy and how they decide to program. Right. Right. Cool. Uh, okay. Final, final question. Uh, we asked this to, uh, we asked this all of our guests, this, this question. What are you obsessing over right now? What am I obsessing? Well, yeah. Is there a specific research question or just something in the kind of in your field that you're really like? I am obsessing obsessing over mentoring my students to be the next generation of exercise scientists, really to carry on a legacy. And um, I am very proud of, I will always give a shout out to my students because they facilitate my ability to do what I do. And uh, I have a terrific group of students who are uh, in their master's. I'm the director of our master's program, and they're carrying out their, many of them are carrying out theses. And uh, my mm. my focus at this point and in life is to mentor, and uh, I obsess over that. So, oh, Well, they're so lucky to have you. They must be <laughs> beating down the door to get into your program. So um, that's that's incredible. Um Final question. Uh, what are the three keys to a successful hypertrophy-based workout program? Yeah, so you need to train hard, sufficiently hard. You need to progressively overload and you need to recuperate properly, recover properly. I would say if you're, there's obviously a lot of nuances within those, but totally. those are three primary keys. I love it. Well, uh, Brad, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate you coming on today and spending uh, this time with us. Brad, where can folks find you? I know um, I follow you on Instagram, so I know that you um, post uh, studies and are really active there. Uh, if you can just share your handle, we'll also share that in the show notes. Yeah, I'm all over social media. I'm um, yeah. on Instagram, Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I still do Facebook. Um, but yeah, you, you uh, Google me. I would just say Google me and you'll find me. Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you for uh, being an educator and uh, yeah, just that's Herculean of what you've contributed to this space to say the least. So uh, thank you for, for all that you've done. Yeah. Grateful. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you to Brad Schoenfeld for joining us today to talk about resistance training and hypertrophy. If you enjoyed this episode of the whoop podcast, be sure to leave a rating or review. Check us out on social at whoop at Will Ahmed. If you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us podcast at whoop. Call us 508-443-4952, and it might just be answered on a future episode. If you're thinking about joining Whoop, you can now sign up for Whoop for free. That's right, free 30 days. If you like it, become a member. If you don't, send it back. New members can use the code WILL, W-I-L-L, to get a $60 credit on Whoop accessories when you enter the code at checkout for your new membership. That's a wrap, folks. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next week on the Whoop podcast. Get sculpted, get ripped, use these new tips, try the strength trainer in the Whoop app, and as always, stay healthy and stay in the green.